Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Today we have Joe Graff Jr. on the show to discuss his career, some people he's made mad over the years, his shoe collection, where that passion comes from. Also, DNQing an RCR car used to be a bit of a taboo topic, but he is addressing it head-on here today on the show. Really great conversation with him. I think you guys will enjoy that. Again, this show, I like to get different sides of the story in the sport, and I think Joe is one of those people that maybe gets a bad rap, but I think that you guys will have a better appreciation for the guy he is on and off track after that chat. Plus, we got Watkins Glen to recap, Indianapolis to preview, so much to do, so little time to do it. But before we do any of that, you already know what's coming up. Time to pay homage to a motorsports legend and three-time Cup Series champion. Dad, I know you did it right for me this week, so take it away with this week's Wayback segment. Thank you, Duve. Welcome, everyone, to episode 120. Last week's segment touched on how Jeremy Mayfield may have poked the bear when he challenged Ray Evernham and Brian France. It occurred to me that perhaps I've been poking the bear the last couple weeks by not discussing the drivers Davey expected me to. Well, since he's the boss when it comes to this weekly production, I dare not poke the bear, or should I say my cub, three weeks in a row. So, this week we light a fire fan the flames, and focus the way-back lens on smoke, Tony Stewart. In the same way that Stewart's racing idol, A.J. Foyt, may be regarded as the greatest American racer of all time, Stewart may be considered the greatest all-around racer of his generation. The breadth of his accomplishments makes the case. He won the NASCAR Cup Championship three times. He won an Indy Racing League Championship. He won both USAC National Midget and Triple Crown Championships. He won an IROC Championship. He's run just about anything available to race and won. That includes 49 NASCAR Cup wins, 11 Xfinity wins, and a couple of truck wins. And he's still getting it done today, not only as the successful co-owner of Stuart Haas Racing, but on the track as well. He recently won the inaugural SRX Series Championship. Among many other accolades, Tony Stewart has been inducted into the National Midget Racing Hall of Fame, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Hall of Fame, and the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Well, that's all for this week. Was that better for you, Doove? Back to you. Thank you, Dad. Yes, well done on the topic, the driver chosen, and the time. Very good. Very good. Very proud of you. Let's start off this episode as we always do with a good old fashioned. <laughs> Go bowling at the Glen from Watkins Glen International. 
As you guys know by now, probably I was there on site for the festivities in upstate New York. What a great racetrack. Seriously, like the camping, the atmosphere, the scenery, the racing itself, the history. It's it's a great, great place. I was glad that I was there and I tweeted it, but it was one of the best weekends that I've had at the track ever. And one of the best weekends I've had in a long time, period, with this crazy world we're living in. It was my first time in the infield in 530 days when I was able to be in the garage area on pit road for the Arkham Menard Series race on Friday. And I was there the rest of the weekend, too. It was so nice just to see people, talk to people, interact with people face to face, unmasked. Of course, we're wearing a mask when we were inside in the media center, but it was so great. So if by some strange coincidence you're listening to this and I saw you this weekend, A, hello, thank you for listening, and B, it was great to see you. I had a great time. Speaking of having a good time, Kyle Larson had a good time too. Chase Elliott, let's talk about him though, had to start at the rear, and he came all the way back after flat spotting his tires, making up like 10 seconds under green on the last run. One spot short. Second place. Close but no cigar. There was just no stopping young money. Kyle Larson gets his second road course win of the year. Fifth of the season over his Hendrick Motorsports teammate, Chase Elliott. Here's what he had to say afterwards. Yeah, it was a it was a good day. Um, in the beginning there, um, I knew I had a fast car and was able to close in on Joey and Brad pretty quickly and um, just couldn't really do anything with them at that point because they were a little bit better than me in the areas where I needed to, to build a run. But I knew my car was good and had a lot of grip. So uh, it gave me confidence there. And once the strategies kind of worked out and I ended up mid-pack, I knew I needed to beat the 22 and the 11 to the front. And um, then I would have better tires than those guys in front of me and, and the strategy would work out. So uh, thankfully that's what happened. Our picker did a great job on the green flag stop and got us out in front of the 19. And um, we were able to, to kind of maintain that gap for a little while and then eventually start to pull away. And um, you know, thankfully the nine uh, was not close enough uh, there at the end because he was, he was really, really fast. Hey, Kyle, Davey Siegel with Front Stretch. To go off of that, Denny said that he's really enjoying the battle because he feels like it's keeping him fresh and he feels like every race for the last few months has been like a playoff race in terms of the intensity and trying to gain the points. Do you feel that same way? Yeah, no doubt. I think for sure it probably for him and I both, you know, it's say he still had an 80-point lead or something, you know, he you could get lazy and, and you know, not care as much and make mistakes, whether it be, you know, make a dumb move on a restart or speed on pit road, which we both done uh, a few weeks ago. But now it's like, you know, every point matters to get those five extra bonus points. So yeah, I think keeping your, your mind strong and sharp through the regular season is important to where, you know, you don't have to just flip a switch now when it comes playoff time and, and who knows if you're, you're mentally there. But I think for him and I both, you know, we've been mentally there for the for a while now, and um, yes, yeah, so I think come the playoffs time, you know, we'll just keep doing what we've been doing, and, and hopefully, uh, we'll we'll find ourselves in the final four. I think he said that uh, he was originally going to be your ride home, but he said he was leaving you. So <laughs> just wanted to pass along the message. Yeah, you know, I figured uh, he left. I I wanted Sonoma too, and he left me. So, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's fine. Um, I'll get to fly home with the team now, and, and that'll be cool, and uh, get to. I don't I don't I don't really think I've I've ever. Um, Na Nashville would be the only other time I think I won when I got to, you know, fly home with the team. So um, it'd be cool to get to fly home with them and um, celebrate a little bit. 
Also got to say, I enjoyed this race because of the time that it took to complete it. God, that was awesome. Two hours, 10 minutes, 11 minutes, I think, officially, if you want to round up. That is what I'm talking about. You guys know what I'm going to say, right? Shorten everything. The season, the races, all of it. I'm all for shortening things because you drive up interest and appetite for the on-track product if you do so. And I think the two-and-a-half-hour window, three hours is a little bit on the longer side, but if you want to do that, fine. For most races on the Cup Series schedule, that is perfect. It's not too long. It's not too short. It creates a little bit more intensity for people that need to ratchet it up sooner rather than later. I think that it was a great time for the race in terms of the length that it took to complete. And I don't think that the shortness of it made it any less entertaining. And by the way, that is the average time of all Watkins Glen races for the history of time, two hours and 11 minutes. So don't say that they did something different this year because they stuck with the status quo. Of course, we got to hit on the companion series that were in action this weekend as well. Let's start off with Xfinity. Ty Gibbs does Ty Gibbs things. Beats out two of the best in the world in stock cars on road courses. And I don't think that's hyperbole at all. Austin Sindrick and AJ Allmendinger, they could not stop that 54 car. And the 18-year-old, now three-time winner in the Xfinity series, Ty Gibbs, pretty damn good, isn't he? Pretty cool performance, too. Beat Cindric in the dinger multiple times on restarts, passing him straight up, cleanly, efficiently, and effectively. And man, this guy, all he does is win. I, his expectations have got to be through the roof for next year when it's inevitably going to be announced that he has a full-time Xfinity ride. Got to be the championship favorite, but let's not put the cart before the horse. Let's focus on the here and the now and hear from Mr. Ty Gibbs, his thoughts post-race after his third Xfinity win of the season. Overall, it was super cool to win here. And first of all, overall, everything, you know, all glory to God and to the man above. You know, that's the reason why I'm here and everybody else is. So, um, you know, it was just wonderful to win on a track that Graham Hill, Kyle Busch, you know, you name it, have one on Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart. It's awesome. It means a lot. Um, it's just it's just super cool. I feel like I'm hasn't set in yet. Um, and it's just it's just wonderful. Hey, Ty, Davey Siegel with Front Stretch. So. The sponsor of the race, you cannot consume. So what it's two did and a half years. Yeah, I know you're counting. I'd rather so, drink this, though. I, I was going to say, I assume that's what you had instead. Yeah. Uh, you said it. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough. You put me uh, on the spot. I got you. In terms of the Arkham and Art series as well, championship battle going down to the wire there with Corey. Uh, you guys have traded some blows here and there. You guys raced pretty clean yesterday as well. What's your mindset going into the final few races of the season on that side of things, and how do you think you stack up against him in terms of championship hopes? I mean, the, I feel like there's two ways you can handle this question and is to be really confident about it or really negative, and I feel like the spot I'm in and how I want to handle myself, I just keep my head down and keep working. You know, like yesterday we got beat. We had a little issue, but, you know, we still got beat. Um, and, you know, stuff like that, you just got to take and handle it and build character from it. You know, it's a character-building day instead of a race-winning day. Um, you know, I feel like just my guys, Mark McFarland, Matt um, Ross, Chris Bowen, you know, those guys will just hammer down to the end, and that's what we're going to do. Um, you know, it was super cool. I had my crew chief and my engineer and my car chief spotting for me today and my overall spotter, Hal Martin. Um, so, you know, we're always 
working and, and trying to just get the best out of the situation we can. I feel like if you try to make yourself do more when you can't do more, you're just spinning your tires and you're worrying about something you can't worry about. Thank you, Davey. Yes, he's in a Joe Gibbs racing car, but he keeps on winning. Don't hate the player, hate the game, because it's not Ty Gibbs' fault that his last name is Gibbs and his grandpa owns the team, and it's not his fault that he's pretty good at what he does. You can hate the system for giving him an advantage this way. You can do that all you want, but don't hate the player because he's just doing what he has to do. Austin Hill wins the second race in a row to go into the Truck Series playoffs with some good momentum. Won at Knoxville, first win on dirt, wins on a road course, first truck win for him on a road course, and he used to be really sneaky good on them back in the k and Pro Series days. So this is big for him because even though there's a few weeks off before Gateway where the truck playoffs start, Austin Hill is going in with more momentum than anybody. Hey, Austin, uh, bigger for you to win on a road course or to win with United Rentals as the sponsor of the race? <laughs> uh I don't know. I think they kind of outweigh each other just because I've been wanting to win on a road course so bad for so long. Um, you know, I ran a lot of road course races back in my legend car days when I ran legend cars and won a lot of road course races there. Um, and ever since legend cars, we just seems like something always happens or we're just that little bit off. And, um, you know, finally we were able to put the whole thing together, um, and, and come home with it. It was, uh, really special and something that, it's really cool to see. I'm sure that, you know, there was a hundred and something uh, United Rentals guests here. And uh, so I'm pretty sure that they were pretty uh, excited to see that happen. And um, I think they have another race that they're sponsoring Martinsville or something like that. So hopefully we can go get it done there for them too. HRE has been really, really good here going back to K&N. And yesterday you obviously ran really well too. Did you notice anything differently in terms of how the team was prepping for this specific race weekend? Because it seems like whatever series they compete in, they're really, really quick. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think the biggest thing is coming off the Knoxville win just gained a lot of confidence for us. And we had that three-week break, so we were able to really prepare uh, going into this weekend and to also get ready for the playoffs. So I thought the three-week break was really good for us. Um, and I think that that kind of played a factor in how good we were and how prepared we were today. This was actually a whole brand-new road course package than, than we've been running this season. And um, we didn't really know what to expect with no practice, but um, – it, it paid off. We, it ended up, we unloaded, we were really good. Right off the bat, kind of fell off, got a little tight there, and then uh, Scott made really good calls in pit road to kind of get us to the lead and get that clean air, and then the, the adjustments that were made were, were pretty big. Chandler Smith, Stuart Friesen, and of course, Carson Hosevar, former guest on the show, they get the final three playoff spots in the truck series on points, so we'll see how that playoff field performs going down the stretch as they begin here in a few weeks in St. Louis. Also give a shout out to Corey Heim who wins the ARCA race over Austin Hill and Ty Gibbs. Uh, when I comes to the ARCA race though, please do me a favor, go and read my story that I wrote about Brad Perez. We had him on a couple weeks ago in anticipation for his ARCA Menard series debut. The day on track did not turn out the way that he wanted, but in general, the day itself was a dream come true for him. I talked to him, Will Rogers, Myatt Snyder, Josh Williams, and I kind of followed him along after he got out of the car and did a profile and a recap. I really encourage you guys to go read that. Selfishly, I'm pretty proud of it. I put a lot of work into it, so encourage you guys to go read that on ArcaRacing.com. You can also find it on my Twitter handle, at Center. But the Breadmobile man might be 24th on track, but he's number one in our hearts. 
Before we get to our interview with Joe Graff Jr., let's get a sponsored read out the way. What do you say? You already know Rhino Classifieds came on the scene recently with a bang. They gave away Vaughn Gittin Jr.'s drift truck, and Rhino was created by the founder of Racing Junk because he wanted to create a more streamlined buying and selling app that allowed users to see what they wanted rather than all the ads that get in the way. So head on over to rhino.co, get a free account, find the car part, race car, classic, modified, whatever you want, you'll probably find it there and you can post yours. Rhino.co, classified for racers, built by racers. Interview time. Joe Graff Jr. runs for SS Greenlight Racing in the Xfinity Series, but that only scratches the surface of this young man. This man is attending NYU, never heard of it, New York University. It's a good damn school. And I found out that he took a class at Harvard. NASCAR drivers don't take classes at Harvard, (laughs) so I got to see what's going on with that. He has an insane sneaker collection, a real passion for that. A relationship with a football player, Antonio Williams Jr. for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, We got into some crypto talk. That was interesting. And also, you remember him and Gray Galding? They had a little bit of a fight earlier this year at Martinsville. Well, we talked about that at length, and Joe pulled no punches. No pun intended. So I'll get out the way and let you guys listen to our chat with Joe Graff Jr. of SS Greenlight Racing and everyone's favorite NYU Bobcat. Pleasure to be joined this week on the podcast by Joe Graff Jr. You guys know him from SS Greenlight Racing, but you also may not know that he's also technically a Bobcat. We'll get to that. We'll talk about NYU and all his different escapades outside the racetrack. Good to talk with you, Joe. I was just telling you, I've been wanting to get you on for a long, long time. was going back and forth with our buddy Chris Knight and finally nailed down a date and a time, so I'm, I'm happy to be speaking with you, man. Absolutely, Dave. Thanks for having me on. Super stoked to be here. Really, uh, really looking forward to talking to it. For sure. So let's go all the way back because I always ask my guests how they got into racing. And I know a rough story about how you got into it, but I want to hear from you from the source. Were, were you alone in this? Did anybody sway you or did you just kind of gravitate towards four wheels and big engines? So my dad, when I was younger, raced at the... Uh, local level, short tracks all over the country. We uh, lived in Minnesota for a little bit. So my dad raced when I was younger, um, short tracks all over the country, raced a street stock at Bethlehem Motor Speedway. I I wasn't racing yet, but I'd go and I'd watch him race. My uncle was involved in racing. So when we moved to Minnesota, my dad transitioned from street stocks to legend car racing. And the guy who he raced for legend cars actually owned a Bandolero, it's quarter midgets. So I was kind of starting to get towards that age where it, it was always something I wanted to do. I loved going to the track with my dad, loved being involved and uh, got the opportunity when I was like nine or 10 to test a quarter midget, did really good in it, um, was pretty close to the track record. And I remember uh, the guy's name was Tim that did it with us. And he just turned to my dad, he's like, look, you, you can either put him in a race car or I'm going to. <laughs> um, so kind of got started there. He had a bandolero. So I started racing that, raced uh Came back to the Northeast, um, raced full-time at Bethel, a bunch of other tracks around the country. Um, me and my dad did it by ourselves to start out for the most part, and then kind of brought some other people in and uh, raced raced legend cars with him from when I was like 13 to 17, which was awesome. That was uh, that was a lot of fun. I, I still race them here and there. Anytime I can race my dad, it's a lot of fun. Um, we uh, 
we had a good time. Haven't raced with him in a while, though. I don't think he's been in a car in a year or so now since COVID. But um, went on from there to race modifieds at Stafford in Connecticut. I ran mm-hmm. Stafford, Waterford, Thompson, a bunch of modified tracks up there. Then I uh, went on to do some late model and ARCA stuff. Spent two years in the ARCA series and moved on to Xfinity after that. Yeah, we'll get to all that. I got to say, though, your dad hasn't been in the car for a while, so this is the perfect time to get him back. And since he's not fresh and you're up to date running Xfinity every week, you'll beat his brains in. So you got to get him back in the car so you can show him who's really boss. I'm trying. I'm trying. I I, I won't lie. There's a couple people that uh, keep trying to get us both to go run Bowman mm-hmm. Gray in North Carolina on a modified. Ooh. So you might be uh, seeing that at some point here. Um, I got to get back to Bethel at some point too, race some legend cars. So yeah. we'll see though. Yeah, that'd be fun. All right, so take so let's let's dive into your childhood, okay? So I know that you said you grew up in Minnesota for a little bit, but then you came back to the Northeast. You obviously got some stuff going on in North Carolina, and right now at this present moment, you're in Mawa, New Jersey, which is where it says you're from on Racing Reference, which is usually not always true, but most of the time it is. So where were you born? You raced in Minnesota. You raced in the Northeast. Where do you live now? Give us the 411 on your geographical escapades. So born and raised in Mawa, New Jersey. Okay. Um, I went to, I was in Minnesota for like second through fourth grade. And then we came back to Mawa, New Jersey. Just a little so, bit. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit. Good time. L- loved it out there, but uh, Pretty cold. I tell people this all the time. I, I love it in North Carolina where I live right now. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing like a Jersey bagel and a New York slice of pizza. Absolutely, dude. Absolutely. Um, I was uh, I was going a little crazy. It's been uh, it's been over a year since I've been home because of COVID and everything else, and uh, just been way too long since I've had a Jersey bagel, the Taylor ham, egg and cheese, and a slice of New York pizza. So I was uh, happy to be home for a couple of days, eat some pizza, and uh, it's been good. Yeah, I'm starving. I was going to say your first stop was probably to get a bacon, egg and cheese and get a pie for dinner, right? Oh, yeah. You you land off the plane and you're like, all right, where is the nearest bagel shop? Yep. Okay, from there, we'll go to the nearest pizzeria. Yep. And then we'll go back to the house. <laughs> that's what you got to do. Now I'm hungry. Let's just cut the interview off. Let's go get some food. No, I'm kidding. Uh, that's good, though, because I got family in New Jersey. I got family in New York, too. And whenever they come down to visit me here in the D.C. area, they always know to bring some bagels, and if pizza oh, yeah. kept a little oh, yeah. bit better, they would bring some pizza too. But even this past July Fourth, like I had a group of buddies that came, we went to the beach, and they brought. They were like, "Yeah, we'll bring a dozen bagels." I said, "Bring like two or three dozen, please. Exactly. That, that'd be a little better." Exactly. So I feel yeah. you. you. You're just carb loading. That's what you're doing. Yeah, one hundred percent. And people who haven't had them, like they, they don't understand. Like, there's so many people in North Carolina, like it can't be that good. I'm like, no. I'm telling you, just go try. They don't it. know because they haven't had it. Yeah, it's like you like you don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. All right, so I was thinking because I, I saw that you're from Mawa, but I know now that you live in Charlotte. So I was going to say if you go to and from New Jersey to visit the race shop and everything, but it kind of still applies because we'll get into a little bit later in depth, but you still currently attend NYU, which for those of you that don't know, is New York University. New York and Charlotte, not too close together. So whenever you were on campus, I don't know if you still are, if it's a hybrid online with COVID, everything like that. I I know that you were on campus for a little bit, I believe. So what was the travel logistics like there? So I haven't been on campus in a little while because of COVID. Um, But before COVID, NYU was great. And part of the reason I decided to go there as well is they were really willing to accommodate my schedule. 
So I had all of my classes jammed into Monday morning and my last class was like Wednesday at three. So like, I remember Monday and Tuesday, I'd have classes from like 8.30 in the morning to like my last class was out at 8.50 at night. So like they were all jammed together, but- That's rough, but at least you got Thursday and Friday off to go race. Exactly. So I could fly out Wednesday night, go to the shop, go to the track, Mm -hmm. come back Sunday, like get ready for class Monday and still make all that work. Um, it was, it was a logistical nightmare sometimes, but (laughs) like it all, it all worked out. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. Well, even just me, I went to college at Michigan state and I was covering the and West at the time and flying out of Detroit, which is about an hour 15 drive from East Lansing. And then going out west with the time change, early morning flights, because I always was on the cheap flights, coming back, getting my homework done, studying for exams. Like, it's not easy. I mean, people always say being a full-time college student and racing is not the easiest thing. And everybody goes, yeah, you're right. It's really not that easy. But you've lived it. And it's not easy. And it continues to not be easy. I've never met anybody that's like, yeah, it can't be that hard. But I've met very few people that actually understand it, too. Yeah. It's, I'm sure you've probably uh, met some people in Xfinity, too, that are in similar positions. I think Stefan Parsons was doing something similar at UNC Charlotte. I mean, Myatt Snyder, probably, I think. So there's, there's definitely been other drivers to do it, 100%. It is a little bit easier when your school's in Charlotte and your race team's in Charlotte, though. Very, yeah. It's, it's like, it's, uh, honestly, that probably would have been a little bit easier for me, too. It's uh, It's been tough like when I was on campus traveling that much, trying to figure out the flights. And right. if there's not a flight, now you're driving to wherever you're racing. And mm-hmm. it's uh, it's crazy. I have a buddy that goes there currently, but I don't know where the campus is. Is it in the city? I should know this. So it's in New York City. So I actually, I had, a, I had dinner with my sister last night in the city. She goes to Columbia University. Okay. And that was my first time seeing that campus. And it's, they're both like Columbia's campus and... NYU's campus are in New York City, right? right. So Columbia's is like 116th to 122nd Street, and NYU's is like down towards like um, 12th Street down there, like on the other side. And NYU is crazy because like Washington Square is kind of like our quad, but we don't have a real campus. We have buildings, but when you walk out of the buildings, you're just in New York City, right? Yeah. So yeah, like the big difference between there and Columbia, because I, I hadn't seen Columbia until I walked the campus with my sister yesterday and it's uh it's a proper campus in New York City. So like everybody walking around is college students where at NYU when you walk out of whether it's your dorm or your class building, whatever, the library, it could be a student or it could just be a normal New Yorker. Um so I don't I don't know which I like more. Both has have their pros and cons, but uh it's uh it's definitely a cool campus. Yeah. For sure. I feel like there's some people right now listening that are like in Charlotte or down south have probably never been to a major metropolitan city like that. And they're thinking, did he say 116th Street? There's 116 streets. Oh, my God. But if you're listening, if you've never been to New York, get to New York eventually, come to D.C., whatever, and you'll see what we're talking about because it is a different world up there. It's pretty wild. So let's talk a little bit more about college and NYU because you're there currently. You're majoring in business media and sports management. Is that like a triple threat type thing? Do you have any minors? Is that all one thing? So it's, it's pretty much all one thing. I, I, I try to make it a triple threat. It's, it's helped me a lot in the business side of racing. Um, like it's a whole agency and marketing company. And we've uh, been pretty, 
successful with that. And like, that's helped me with it a lot. Um, like I, I think part of the reason I enjoy going to school so much while I'm racing is because of how much they both helped each other. Right. Um, like a lot of my experiences in racing and on the business side of racing have helped me relate it to a lot of the stuff I'm learning in school, but the, like the challenges that you have in racing and on the business side and things and um, how to be successful, you're, you're kind of learning in school as well. Um, right. So they, they go hand in hand really well. And I feel it's given me an edge. And I read that it was important to you to go to school and it, it, it never really was a question. And I think that's interesting perspective because a lot of people in your situation have who have been racing most of their lives, if not all of their lives, that's all they've been set on. It's just, I'm going to go racing, school's an afterthought, be it college, right? I mean, there's not a ton of NASCAR drivers with college degrees and you who's about to have one. Like, that's not the norm. But why was it important to you to get a college degree and go through that process? Because it seems like that was a really pivotal thing. So it's definitely important to me. It's even more important, important to me now than it was, to be honest with you. But like when I was in high school, I had a lot of friends that raced that were homeschooled and stuff. And like, I, I honestly kind of wanted to do that. Like when you're a kid and you, uh, Sounds you're good. told like, I want to go to school every day. I can just travel around and race. Like, why, yeah. why wouldn't you want to do that? Right. But like my, my parents were actually very vocal about me going to school and weren't really as focused on racing. Um, like I remember my senior year of high school that uh, they were kind of ready for me just to go to college and give up racing, to be honest. They're like, look, you need to go to school. Like this uh, racing thing is cool and everything, but yeah, you have to go get your, your education. So um, I actually took classes at Harvard, my senior year of high school while I was racing Harvard? to show my parents. Yeah. To, to show my parents that I could do school and racing. Time out. So time, out. To- time out. Harvard. Harvard. You dropped that casually. Like I'm supposed to just accept that. Like, sorry, NASCAR drivers don't take classes at Harvard. Explain yourself. So they had a school that I could do an online class through them. I actually got college credit for it. Awesome. Um, it was a semester class. It was the history of the cold war. Um, I was a big history guy back then still am. So I love taking it. Um, and I, I ended up getting, I think it was an A minus. I was kind of upset with it, to be honest with you, for how hard I worked on it. But uh, I guess that's why it's Harvard. High right? standards. <laughs> but no, it's uh, it's been great. I, I did well in that, kind of showed that I could do both. I ended up taking a gap year between high school and college. So I took that year off to focus on racing. And then I went back to NYU. I still have a 4.0 GPA there. So I like take that very seriously. Um, uh, You're smart cookie, Joe. I try. I try. The biggest thing for me is just keeping like when I was on campus, trying to keep them both separate. Right. Like when I would get to NYU on Monday, I wasn't thinking about racing from Monday to Wednesday afternoon. Mm-hmm. But when I left, I wasn't really like I, I try not to focus on schoolwork. Like I'd right. switch gears, try to keep them very split, like in my little free time. Monday, Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I try to get all my homework and stuff done too. So I didn't really have to deal with that while I was racing. Um, so that was probably the biggest thing for me was just the time management. And uh, it's been, it's been easier since I've got the, the online classes now too. Yeah. Um, like I'm doing 
the Josh Wise program with Chevy and Scott Speed this year as well. So that's uh, we do a ton over there, and it would definitely be tough to be on campus with that. Was that hard for you to balance keeping the racing life separate from the school life? And then also, I mean, being a college student, that's some of the best times of your life. Speaking from experience, I developed a lot of close friendships and relationships in school, but being essentially gone, like emotionally, but also literally you were gone for most of the times over half the week. Was that hard to, to balance and manage not just the separation of the two, but also the actual college experience? It's definitely tough. Um, I I tell people all the time, I really enjoy my college experience, but it's vi- not like most people's college experience. Definitely not traditional, yeah. No, no. So I have I have some great friends I go to school with. I have uh, a very close circle, but I don't meet a ton of new people all the time just mm-hmm. because I think I've spent in my college career maybe five or six weekends on campus. That's it. Man. Um, so it's um, – it's, it's tough in that regard. I wish I could spend some more time sometimes, but also I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's talk some racing, Joe. I did a lot of research on you and your career going back to ARCA. So I want to start there. Um, 2018 at Berlin, you won the race over Zane Smith and Chandler Smith, not related to people. But something mysterious I read happened with the flag in terms of ending the race, and it was supposed to end, but it didn't. Something like that happened, and you you wound up moving them out the way, and you won the race at the end. Can you take me back to that day and the finish? What what exactly happened? So, I was running second for the last good bit of the race. There um, was able to run down Chandler Smith. Uh, was having a hard time getting around him, and I didn't mean to turn him in three and four on the last lap, but I I meant to move him. Um, he ended up going around, and right before I took the checker, the caution came out. So we uh, we had to do it again in Arca. It's not a green white checkered. It's just a um, white checkered. Yeah, exactly. It's just <laughs> one lap. So I I didn't have the restart I wanted and had to uh, move. I think it was Zane Smith a little bit there too, just to get that win. Yeah. But that was awesome. That was a uh, that was a good year for us. That was uh, we were only supposed to do six races that year. Yeah. I broke my foot right before my first one. Um, so trying to work through that, uh, led laps in my first one with a broken foot. Then, uh, I I think Salem was the second race, ran good there, went on to Talladega. And that was the one that I wasn't supposed to run Talladega. So that was the first one I wasn't supposed to run that I did. And the driver that Chad had at the time backed out, um, super last minute. So I found out on Tuesday I was racing it and it was on Friday. Man, I I did as, as much like sim work as I could, as much film as I could. Went there, um, tried to listen to the team as much as I could. Like Chad is super knowledgeable guy, um, does an awesome job. And uh, went to finishing second is Zane Smith, which was the closest finish in ARCA history. Um, I thought you that, won, did you not? Didn't, so I, I haven't seen a picture that really shows I didn't or did, to be fair. So I don't really know. I don't have the trophy, though. That's, that's in mm. Zane's house. Because that was the close. Wasn't it technically a statistical tie, I think? Yeah. That's so nice. the score sheet I saw when we were doing our media stuff, it was zeros all the way out. So I don't know how they wow. determined it, um, but it was cool. Like uh, definitely would have liked to be on the other side of it, but it's always cool to be involved in a finish like that. Right. So, yeah, <laughs> but that was the, uh, 
that was the race that got me an opportunity to go on to Toledo, which I wasn't scheduled to do either. I ended up running third there and uh, got signed on for the rest of the year after that. We were in contention, contention to win a couple of races, one at Berlin. Yeah. Um, definitely a good, good year for us. So that year, you were supposed to do six races. You wind up winning that race at Berlin, and then things kept snowballing. You were available for specific opportunities. You did well. You kept racing. First of all, how would you break your foot? When did you break your foot? And how did you get back in the race car so quickly after you broke your foot and technically tied for a win with a broken foot at Talladega? So I wish there was a cooler story as to how I broke my foot. I, I feel actually like it's going to be cool still. I actually broke my foot playing basketball in my parents' driveway with my little brother. Okay, not bad. That's great. <laughs> so um, I broke it six days before my first ARCA race at Nashville. Um, I remember going to the doctor and like, I was like, I didn't know what to say, but they, they wanted to put a cast on it. And I'm like, look, I have a race in six days. I'm going to run that race. I can't run it with a cast. That's so, like 80s NASCAR energy. So like, I'm like, all right, like I could take this cast off or we could not put it on. It's up to you guys here. But they were, uh, they were pretty understanding with it. And uh, they actually taped the bone in place under the understanding that after the race, like I'd race with it taped in place. It was my left foot, so it was my brake foot. Um, they're like, we'll tape it in place and kind of wrap it up so it'll fit in your racing shoe and you go run. But after the race, you got to come back and put a cast on it, right? So damn, I go to Nashville, end up leading laps. We have Salem the next week, so I didn't come back before Salem. And I was supposed to have a big break after Salem, right? Because we weren't running any more races. Right, because you had six scheduled. I remember my flight was on Wednesday to come back up here to get a cast put on my foot. And I got the call on Tuesday that I could run Talladega. No so, cast for you. No cast for me, went to Talladega. And then I just kept racing after that. So I actually never had a cast put on it. Um, had a boot for a while. I rode around the track on one of the scooters to uh, get around. I, I got pretty good on crutches. Um, so it was broken, but it was like not broken enough where you couldn't put any weight on it. Like you were able to actually like function, right? Or were you just on crutches and not putting any weight? And then racing. So I, I couldn't put any weight on it to walk. Um, but you still raced. When I, when I taped it in place and made the shoe tight enough, it said, I have a very high pain tolerance. I can um, tell. So <laughs> I, I, I remember Nashville, though. Like, I mean, you're using a good bit of brake there. It's a short track. That's and what I, I was going to so say. I, I broke the fifth metatarsal of my foot. It was a clean brake. And I remember getting on the brakes there, and I could feel the bone shifting. Um, oh, my God. So, like, it was – it was definitely tough. I was on crutches for a while. Then I was on the scooter. Um, I think it was, it obviously didn't heal as quick as it was supposed to. I was supposed to be in a cast for like six to eight weeks. You don't I think say. It to, I think it took 10 to 12 to actually heal, but um, it, it doesn't really bother me now. It's good. That's um, good. Uh, how did you break it playing basketball? Did your brother cross you up too hard or what? So that's, that's what he likes to say. And I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> yeah, I would say the same thing. I mean, how do you not? But the real truth is we were going up for a rebound. And I landed on his foot and oh. uh, I actually broke my right foot when I was younger at playing recess basketball in the same spot. Wow. So I've broke both. Those are the only two bones I broke. Same, same one on both my feet. 
Well, so. I don't know if uh, this is this is probably worse, and I don't think I've ever told the story on the podcast. I'll I'll uh, I'll wrap it up a little bit more. I'll condense it a little bit more. But it was I think junior year of high school. Uh, we were playing softball and PE on our turf football field. I was the team captain. It was the last day of school, I think. We were about to win. Uh, a, there was a batter on the other team who's awful. She hits a monster bomb to deep center field. And I'm on third base. I'm the winning run, maybe the tying run. And she hits it to deep center. And a fielder on their team, who was terrible, was trying to catch the ball. I'm like, no way she's catching the ball. She catches it. And then I am watching her catch the ball. I trip over myself, snap my ankle in half, and I'm on the ground, like, writhing in pain. But since I'm the team captain and I was, I don't know, junior in high school me, people think that I'm, like, crying on the ground, pouting because we lost. So people are, like, kicking me on the way out. They're like, oh, you sore loser. It's just a softball game at PE. And I'm, like, in tears because my ankle's broken. So I had one friend who's like, I think he's. I think he's not okay. I was like, yeah, I'm not. Right, he's actually hurt. That's that's crazy. Yeah, that was brutal. Okay, uh, glad we got that under control. Uh, just tell your brother that I'm on his side because I would tell that story a hundred times over the same way. Um, that's 2018. I'm glad that your foot is all healed, all better. Let's fast forward to the next year, 2019. And I'm bringing this up. I was going to bring it up anyway, but I found it interesting when I was, you know, prepping for the interview. Your Twitter bio addresses this head on. It says. DNQ'd RCR cars in 2019 with a little shrug emoji. So uh, for real, I was going into this and I was like, I'm going to have to approach this topic like very sensitively because if you DNQ any car, it's not good, especially an RCR car in your first start. Like that's not a good look. And you know that I don't have to tell you that, but you clearly are kind of making light of the situation because it happened. It is what it is. You've moved on now. You're clearly doing well for yourself in your career. But I found it interesting that, you know, probably two, three years ago, that would not have been your reaction. But now that you're a little bit more mature, you can look on that in a, in a little bit of a different light. Is that fair to say? No, for sure. For sure. I mean, it's uh, I learned a ton over there. Um, I was I was an intern that was given an opportunity to drive race cars over yep. there. And I'm for, forever grateful, learned a ton. But I don't know that I was ready for Xfinity, to be honest with you. And I was never a very good qualifier. Um, when we signed that deal over at RCR, it was group qualifying. And I felt pretty good about it. If you don't put a good lap down, you go back out and you do it again. Like both those races we didn't qualify for, we were in the top 15 in practice. Um, like we had speed. I just wasn't a very good one lap qualifier. Never really have been. Um, spent a lot of time with a sports psychologist and figured that out. And I feel I do a good job at it now. But cool. It, uh, I, I wasn't ready for it. And honestly, like I put it in my bio just because I feel like people think I like, you're not running run away from it. something like that's the only thing, like it always keeps coming up and it, like, it doesn't bother me. It's like, you just got to own it. So. Yeah, definitely. No, that's a mature perspective. Um, with that being said, now you're owning it. At the time, I'm sure it probably felt like the end of the world because here you are in your first Xfinity start in really good equipment. You're getting to the mountaintop here. Like you've raced your whole life and now this is a really, really good shot. And you go to a track and you fail to qualify in pretty, pretty good equipment. So even though now you're looking back on it, you're saying, you know what? Made me a better person. I'm good with it. At the time, I'm sure you probably were struggling with that. Oh, yeah, it was tough. I mean, it was... It was definitely heartbreaking. I won't lie to you, but it's uh, like 
I got a lot of crap for it on social media and everything else. And everybody always kind of talks about that. And it's like, the social media stuff doesn't really bother me. It's like, I don't want to say it doesn't bother me, but the way I explain it to everybody, right, is all, not just NASCAR drivers, anybody who is on a platform in sports or celebrity or something like that has to deal with this stuff. There's nobody that doesn't, right? There's nobody that's just unanimously liked by everybody. And that's fine. Like, and to be honest with you, I don't feel bad for anybody that is on that platform that has to deal with it because we choose to deal with it. Like I, like I didn't become a NASCAR driver by accident, right? Like I made a conscious decision to race on, on Saturdays in the NASCAR Xfinity series on TV for all of you guys to give your opinions about me. Right. Um, like it's, and I feel I have a much different, different opinion on that than most people, but like, we all ask for it. I don't want anybody to feel bad for me about it. It doesn't bother me. Like the people I feel bad for are like the high school and middle, middle school kids that have to deal with that, that didn't ask for it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like they're not doing what I'm doing or on this platform that they should have to deal with that. Right. right. Like they didn't ask for it. Like if I, if it was too much for me to deal with, I could step away, but the pros far outweigh the cons, right? Like, you can't step away from middle school. Like, that's not like, I, I feel bad for like the kids that have to deal with it. I don't really, it's, uh, I get to do what I love. I love doing what I do. And uh, people are entitled to their opinions. You think Joe Graff Jr. in 2019 sitting in the hall or after you DNQ'd at Michigan would have said that? I don't think so. <laughs> Probably not, but <laughs> I will be honest with you. Joe Graff Jr. in 2019, wasn't mad at people on Twitter. He was mad at himself. That's fair. That's like, that's the big difference too. I never, like, I was more internally upset with how that went than I was about people's opinions on Twitter. Like you right? were more like, disappointed I, with yourself like, more than. Yeah, like I, know. like I pour my heart and soul into this, right? Yeah. Like even when races go good or bad, like I'm so invested in this already that it doesn't make a difference to me if you have a good or bad opinion on social media like chances are if you're upset or think i did bad i'm probably more upset so i really don't like it, it doesn't make me like it doesn't it just doesn't make a difference to me it's uh i've always kind of dealt with stuff on my own and it's it's just it's part of it right like um every every fan base in sports has their opinion and without that fan base the reality is none of us would be doing this I, I wouldn't be driving an Xfinity car. You wouldn't have a podcast. Yep. Like without the fan base, there isn't, there isn't anything. Right. So everybody wants to be liked by everybody, but the reality is you're not going to be. You say it very nonchalantly, but I think that may be one of the more profound statements that I've heard in a long time. Uh, so I appreciate you sharing that perspective and I, I appreciate you sharing those thoughts too. Cause I agree with everything you said. You're right. Without the fans, I wouldn't have this show. You wouldn't have uh, an opportunity to race in Xfinity. And that's just part of it. So I appreciate you sharing all that. I am curious, and I'm sure the fans are curious to know too, right? Like that day, that weekend, let's say whatever, you get back to the shop or you call RC on the phone or something. I mean, facing the boss or maybe your crew chief at the time, whoever it was that you had to, what what were those conversations like in the sense of like, you know you messed up. You know you didn't do a great job. Nobody was really going to tell you that to your face because they didn't need to. 
But again, it was more self-disappointment and unfortunate events that led to that. And you had to face that. I mean, obviously nobody was happy with the results, but like they were very proactive in figuring out how to solve the problems, right? Like how, how can I, because it wasn't a question of, Oh, Joe Graff Jr. Can't drive a race car. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I went out there and practice. I think at Michigan, I was like 11th or 12th in practice, not phenomenal, but pretty good for my first time ever in an Xfinity car. Right. Um, and to go out there and miss the race, like they didn't look at me. I feel like, okay, the issue is you can't drive. It's the issue was I couldn't qualify. Right. Um, so that's an easier problem to solve than if I couldn't do any of it. Right. So they more kind of, like we spent a lot of time in a simulator. We went and worked on a lot of qualifying stuff. I went out and started to meet with a sports psychologist about stuff like that, but they were all, um, like, I remember the first thing that was said after that is they're like, look, this sucks. Like, we're not going to try to tell you it doesn't, but the reality is, is Kevin Harvick's missed races before and he's doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. So like, this isn't the end of the world. We're going to get it turned around and we're going to have some good races. And we, we did have good races that exactly. year. And uh, like, that's like, you can't get too down on it either. So you just got to keep moving on. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk about the internship that you had. How, how did that come about? And was the internship kind of the precursor to the deal that you actually struck with RCR to race was the racing deal totally unrelated. Were they, were they connected? How did you get hooked up with the team in the first place? I definitely wouldn't have gotten the opportunity to race over there if I wasn't an intern. Um, But when you applied for the internship or got the internship, you had no real inkling that you were, it was going to lead to a race. No. So you always hope it does, right? Like you're always like in your situation, uh, phenomenal team like my dream is to race in nascar right like so you always hope it does but but i there was no like i i was an intern first right so basically i had to do an internship for my major and i wanted something that allowed me to stay in north carolina and be involved in the race teams and i wanted to understand how some of these big race teams operate on the business side so i can kind of see all that and help me in my career. Right. So I got that opportunity at RCR and then, um, through that internship, we were considering moving up to a truck or an Xfinity car in the future. And they're like, Hey, well, we have an opportunity here. What do you guys think about this? And that's kind of, uh, jumped on it. It worked itself out. It was, uh, it was absolutely awesome. I, it was even cooler being able to do the internship and drive over there because you just knew everybody on such a different level. Like um, I worked for or alongside a lot of the people that I would then work with in the marketing department and stuff when I was racing over yeah. there. So it was, uh, it was really cool. Like Hannah Montana, you get the best of both worlds. You're on the marketing <laughs> side business and then you hop in the sea. It's pretty sweet. Exactly. Exactly. I, uh, just was missing the wig, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You need the wig. You need the singing voice. You need the famous dad. You need all these things. Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a few bullet points there. <laughs> yeah, just a few. You, you did all right for yourself. And I know also in that year, we're talking about 2019 here, at Richmond, I think I remember in the Xfinity race, John Hunter Nemechek was a bit displeased with you. I think at Richmond, spun you on the cooldown lap or something like that. Do you remember what happened there? I, I don't. I, I just remember that he spun you on the cooldown lap. Yeah, yeah. I uh, so 
we raced hard with him all day. Um, no, no problem with John Hunter. I hadn't really raced with him much before that. Um, just racing hard. And I remember I, I moved him in three and four. And uh, I guess he, he didn't like it. Went down to uh, turn one and two on the cool down lap. Tried to spin me out. Actually spun himself out. Um, but, I mean, it is what it is. I'm sure uh, he had a lot going on. He was fighting in the playoffs and stuff, too. I was, I mean, I was fighting for a lot, too. Every opportunity you get in one of these cars is an audition, right? Sure. So you got to make the most you can out of it. Um, and I've never never been afraid to put the bumper to somebody to short track and just did that. And I guess it was the wrong day for me to do that to him in his head. So it is what it is. All right, let's hit the adversity trifecta, so to speak, and then we'll get on to more fun things. We talked about the DNQ. We talked about John Hunter. So let's talk about your Royal Rumble with Gray Galding this year. Of course, we, ha- we have to, right? Uh, it was a little tiffed. I wrote in my notes, a little tiffed with Gray Galding. First of all, who won the fight? Because we didn't really get good footage of it. So I was very disappointed we didn't get good footage because the one thing I will say is he never even landed a punch. He said he did. Yeah, he's a very good liar. Um, <laughs> no, so I uh, I landed two pretty big ones. He grabbed onto me, threw him on the ground, and that's kind of where the camera got onto it. Right. Um, but he just... I mean, I like to be composed in my interviews, make sure I always show myself and my sponsors in a good mm-hmm. light, right? Like, you can't just go on the air and sound like an idiot. Um, and I feel like that's kind of what he did and admitted to doing it and everything else. And it's, uh, he, he then put it up on Twitter trying to take that back, but we all know what happened. So I went to, uh, talk to him about it after the race and he basically just said he wrecked me. So, um, which I knew he wrecked me. I'd already seen the replay cause I was in the infield and everything else. So like, I knew he wrecked me, but, maybe he'd come up with something else, right? Lost break, something, some excuse just to make it a little less bad, right? But no, he didn't. So he's like, yeah, I didn't like, he, he basically said, I, I didn't like the way you raced me. So yeah, I flat out wrecked you and I punched him in the face. Um, I just won't be disrespected like that. We both race for small teams. I don't know how you think it's a good idea to go out there and tear up cars for no reason. Um, he, he may be upset with the way I raced him, but I didn't wreck him, didn't even spin him out. So I don't know how that warrants uh, what what he did, especially for a team owner like Bobby Dodder that did so much for him in his career. Um, he didn't he didn't wreck my car, he wrecked Bobby's car. Yeah. So like that's just it's just just uncalled for. And if anybody wrecks me like that, I'll go fight anybody. No, I'm not I'm not scared. Um, There's the Jersey boy coming out in you now. That's it. Like I I grew up dealing with stuff like that and racing and things. It's just like people, a lot of people like to say that they're going to go fight somebody. Like I, there, there's nobody in the garage. I wouldn't fight. There might be, be fights. I wouldn't win, but there's nobody I won't fight. <laughs> you could try. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, if, if anybody races me like that, just be ready. I mean, it's, it's going to happen. It's on site. I, I hear you for standing up for yourself. I have a, I have a direct quote for you if you'd like. Yeah, let's hear it. Quote, I 100% wrecked him on purpose, end quote. So, I mean, and then I, I just find it so funny. Like, he goes on the air and says that. He said some really, like, immature, really, really, really weird things. 
just uncalled for. It, it was even more uncalled for, in my opinion, because we already had the discussion with Wayne in the trailer and everything, and then he goes on and gives that interview. It's just, yeah, it's it's whatever. It's just just immature. I think uh, I think he kind of learned his lesson having to take that back on Twitter the next day and stuff and everything else. But he probably wasn't too happy either. I mean, he just he gave that interview because he just got his ass beat. I mean, that's really what it was. He was upset. He got punched in the face and felt like he needed to be a big guy. So, um, but whatever, it is what it is. Yeah. If he wants to fight me again, I'm here. <laughs> so. All right. You heard him, Gray. He's here. He's on site. I'm ready. Um, um, and I'm like sure you said, the same yeah. I mean, like you said, he kind of walked some of his comments back and I'm sure he would probably sit here and say, you know, I shouldn't have said what I said. I don't regret what I did, but I shouldn't have said what I said. Because as you mentioned, there was a lot of a lot of things that were uncalled for. And I, I don't know if you may have a good answer to this, but I'm curious, like, wh- where do you think that the bad blood in your guys' relationship comes from? Because you were teammates at one point. I don't know the specifics of it. I don't know if you, you tit for tat took his ride, so to speak. Maybe it stems from that. I, I don't know. But d- do you have an explanation as to where this kind of feud is coming from? So I definitely did not take his ride. So when I went over to SS Greenlight, mm-hmm. we got a call in September um, that, that it was an opportunity because Greg Alding was not coming back. And this is whether going we into over, 2020. Yes. So yeah. whether we went over there or not, Greg Alding was not going to be in the 08. Understood. So it was an open ride. Um, everybody was very – like – very upfront about that. He was not going to be returning to the team for whatever reason. I didn't gotcha. really ask. Um, I don't know if it was sponsorship. I don't know if it was his decision. Um, I don't I don't know. But I just know that he was not returning to the team full-time in 2020. And it was a good opportunity. We met with Bobby. We hit it off really well. And we ended up going over there. And uh, I don't know where the – bad blood per se started i just i know he doesn't race me good he doesn't race me clean and uh if anybody wants to go out there and just intentionally wreck me like that we're gonna have a conversation about it probably more so um i haven't really talked to him since don't really care to um i don't think we have any more issues i don't intend on going out there and doing anything i mean it's over and done with for me um Mm -hmm. so just kind of how it is. I don't really care to talk to him. And you mentioned, you know, he didn't wreck your car. He wrecked Bobby Dodder's car, which he had driven before as well. So I assume that part of the reason that, you know, you were so upset about it was, A, you don't want to be disrespected. Like, you're not going to stand for that. But B, you know what kind of guy Bobby Dodder is. You know what kind of team owner he is. You know the opportunity that he's given you. And for that specifically to be disrespected, probably made you more mad than anything, I would assume. Absolutely. I mean, wrecks happen, right? Like you're, you're going to wreck cars, but it's another thing for it to happen intentionally, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, we race for a small team. He races for a small team. We don't have an endless amount of cars to just keep putting on the track. Yeah. Um, and like when we tear these cars up, it doesn't come out of my pocket. It comes out of Bobby's. And that's like – I'm upset because it ruined my race and my team who I'm very close with is now going to have to fix this car. Bobby's going to have to pay for it and everything else. And it's just, 
like too much goes into this to be wrecking people intentionally. And it's just, it's just uncalled for. I think anybody would agree with that. Yeah. Well, let's go to Bobby Dodder specifically going into 2020. You mentioned you got a call that that opportunity was available. So how did you get hooked up with them in the first place? Did they seek you out? Did you seek them out? And why was the partnership so right? So we were trying to figure out what to do. We had an opportunity at Richard Childress to go into the two car full time. Um, We did not have the sponsorship needed to do that. Hmm. So we were trying to figure out what the best route to do was either go part-time at RCR for the funding we had or look at other options. And RCR thought it would be a good job, a good idea for me to be full-time and get experience. And um, it was at Bobby's that we were able to have that opportunity. The uh, It was a good situation. The funding worked out. We were able to get the sponsorship to go do that. And uh we, we hit it off with Bobby really well as well. And that's really, uh, really what it came down to. So let's talk sponsors. <laughs> you got a lot of sponsors on your race car and on your fire suit. And I don't know what half of them are. So I'm going to need you to let, enlighten me here. Bucked up. That's an energy drink, right? Absolutely. So they're, they're an energy drink and they have all kinds of workout supplements and stuff, whether gotcha. it's pre-workout. Um, and you use that stuff. Cause I see you've been training, you've been yeah. hitting the gym. Absolutely. Absolutely. I work out with uh, my trainer, Curtis Walls, I've worked out with for the last couple of years. And I also work out in the uh, in Josh Wise's program um, with him and Scott Speed as well. Okay, so it's uh, super busy. G coin. Is that a Bitcoin type thing? Is this a cryptocurrency? What's that? So it's a fiat currency, but it's not a crypto. It's a way to own real gold. Right. So hmm. cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and stuff. They're scarce, but it's not an actual. It's not backed by an actual asset, right? Um, like Bitcoin is valuable because people say it's valuable. G coin is backed by gold, so like a G coin is always going to be the same price as gold. So G coin is basically an app on your phone that you can download, and you can save your money in gold, spend your money in gold, um, or send your money in gold. So it's a way for like. Um, to avoid inflation and things like that, because it's always the same price. Like okay. gold's always has the same purchasing power, right? So like I have my savings in gold now, I can still pay my bills. I just pay them in gold. Yeah. Um, That's like, kind of it's, a flex. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, so it's unrealistic to own real, like actual physical blocks of gold, right? right. You got to get a safe in your house. You got to go like, it's, it's not realistic, mm-hmm. right? Um, so this is a way to, own real gold that you don't have to store, right? Like you can, you it's 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 real gold that you can then use as cash, right? Uh-huh. So it's like, it has the same flexibility as cash. I can send it to you like I would send you money over Zelle or anything like that. I uh-huh. could, uh, I could use it at a kiosk. Um, I got you. Kind of like Apple Pay, things like that, but it's it's all gold. It's, so it's, uh, it's an, it's an awesome app. Use it all the time, and uh, it's it's definitely growing. So I'm really looking forward to see where that goes. And then uh, another one of my big partners is uh, Z Grills, and they have some awesome pellet grills. I am a big grill master. So anybody who knows me, I grill all the time. Mm. So what's your um, favorite thing to grill? God, I don't know that I have a favorite because like I I like variety, right? So. I will constantly be changing stuff up. Like I, I grill uh, 
I grill steak. I'll grill, I'll smoke ribs. I'll uh, do seafood. Even so, one thing I do like doing um, is I will cook pizza on my Z grill. Mm. So it's a pellet grill. You can basically get wood fired pizza on your Z grill. So I've I've, I've, I've done that a lot too. So it's it's pretty good. Can't be having Charlotte pizza. You need the the closest thing to Jersey pizza as you can get. And if you make it, then you'll have it absolutely <laughs> what about uh eat sleep race is that kind of like a lifestyle brand type thing yeah for sure so eat sleep race is a racing lifestyle and clothing brand apparel so they have like all right. kinds of, so they were born in drag racing they have all kinds of apparel and just yeah, i checked it out earlier. racing lifestyle stuff it's they've they've got some awesome stuff and we've done some great stuff with them yeah uh thank you for explaining all those things especially g coin i see why you took a class at harvard and you're going to NYU and why your sister's at Columbia and why you got a 4.0 GPA right now, because a lot of the stuff you said actually made sense, which is impressive because for me, all the Bitcoin and all this other stuff goes right over my head, but uh, it made somewhat sense. So, so I get that yeah, now. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, for sure. What about some other partners that, that can be, we can, that can be seen on your race car. I know one of them is a void. And I know that because the lead singer, Benny Shoal has been a guest on this show because you remember his anthem at Las Vegas. I know you do. Absolutely. Those guys are a blast. Those guys are a blast. I absolutely loved hanging out with them in Vegas. That was an awesome opportunity. And uh, I always have a blast every time I do something with them. That's That's been great. Um, yeah, we absolutely love it. Listen to them in NASCAR heat all the time, too. It's, it's yeah. pretty cool. Well, Benny's like a huge NASCAR guy, like legitimately. Oh, for sure. They are like huge NASCAR fans. It's so – we – I had them out to Talladega last year, and we had yeah. a phenomenal time. It looked really fun. All right, let's talk about another big name that's associated with you, and that is the NFL's Buffalo Bills, Antonio Williams Jr. Really, really cool partnership, honestly. And he's not just somebody that is attached to you, so you can attach your brand to his. He legitimately is, A, a NASCAR fan. He's on the record saying he wants to be a team owner, and he helps you with sponsorship and getting on the racetrack. Yeah, Tone's awesome. I've I've hit it off with him super well. He's one of my best friends. Um, we just we're super like minded in a lot of what we do. Get along super well. He's come to God probably fourteen races this year now. Wow. Um, I go race go karts with him all the time. He's, He's in uh, it. getting an iRacing simulator now. Um, now it's it's been great. He's been awesome. Um, super super excited to see what what he's going to do with the bills this year. So that's going to be, that's going to be great. Um, he's going to have, he's going to have a career year this year. I'm, I'm sure. Calling it. it pro bowler. Let's see it. How'd you yeah, guys get sure, hooked up sure. in the first place? Cause that's not an, that's not a partnership I would expect. I could see an NFL player going with a cup driver, a top tier Xfinity driver type of thing, but Antonio Williams jr. And Joe Graff jr. Besides the junior, I don't see a whole lot of meshing here. So, do you remember uh, when I DNQ'd those RCR cars? I do, yes. I went to get a sports psychologist? I do, yes. So, I worked with that sports psychologist for about two years, got to know her really well. She came to some of my races. Um, like, Dr. Fest has helped me a lot. Well, before 2020, but before the 2020 season, she gave me a call and let me know that she is moving to Buffalo because she is going to be the sports psychologist for the Buffalo Bills. I see. So we would have to do all of our stuff remote now. Um, and it, uh, 
it just so turned out we were having a conversation at one point and uh, she's like, Joe, like, I think you'll really like Antonio Williams, who I'm working with up here. You guys are like really on the same wavelength, have a lot of uh, the same outlooks on stuff. And yep. like, I, I think you guys would hit it off really well. So I met with Antonio through her and she couldn't have been more right. Like we hit it off instantly. Um, it's, uh, it, it's always a great time when he's around. And it's not like he was going to be skeptical, be like, oh, I don't want to do NASCAR because he's been in it most of his life. His family has yeah, watched the sport. Yeah, he's a huge, he watched huge NASCAR sport. fan. His grandfather was a huge NASCAR yeah. fan. So it's, uh, it's in his blood. I can see it now. Antonio Williams Jr. is a team owner in 10 years. You're his driver. His fruitful partnership is continuing. Your sports psychiatrist or psychologist is now the general manager of the race team. We'll, we'll be making some pizza on our Z grills. We'll be getting bucked up with our energy drinks and our protein powder. I can see the vision, Joe. What do you think? It looks good. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we'll pay for it all with G-Corn. Okay. I'm in. You take care of that because it goes right over my head. But as long as you got it, you got it. Okay. I'm down for that. Uh, speaking of paying for stuff, I know that you're a big sneaker head. So you use some G-Coin to pay for some of your sneakers. You got a big collection? Because I see you're sporting a lot of different kicks. Yeah, so I have got a massive sneaker collection. It's So in the last year, it's probably doubled to tripled. Jeez, um, COVID. Yeah, I, you got to have something to do. You're bored, you so, just buy shoes. <laughs> so it's it's been great. I've uh, I've been a sneakerhead since uh like eighth or ninth grade like before it was cool to be a sneakerhead. i tell people that all the time like i feel like on the ground floor like like everybody's kind of a sneakerhead now like there was a point where this like wasn't cool to do yeah um but no it's it's fun i i enjoy it because of like the stories behind them and like sneaker culture and everything else and it's it's honestly fun to try to find some of these sneakers because like finding some of these sneakers in your size and the condition you want, everything else. It's the actually hunt. not just about money. Like yeah. you actually have to find a lot of these. Like I remember uh, my Heineken dunks um, were probably the hardest ones to find. So for those of you that don't know, they released in 2005 and it was, uh, so it's a Nike dunk low with like a Heineken star on it and they're green and white, mm-hmm. but it wasn't an official collaboration with Heineken. So when Nike released them, Heineken turned around and sued them and Nike pulled them off from shelves. So all of these were supposed to be destroyed or pulled or not in circulation. So there's not very many pair of them. So those were really difficult for me to find. Um, I got a pair of uh, Jordan, the original Jordan one breads from 1985. So they're like 36 years old. Now I got a pair of those. Those are pretty difficult to find. Um, I want to know how much those things costed, man. It's, it's like art and uh, <laughs> like I wear a lot of my sneakers, but there's some of them too that like, I'll just hold on to forever. I get it. Somewhat investments. Um, but it's, uh, I, I buy and sell. Um, it's a, uh, it's a pretty good hobby of mine. I've, uh, I've definitely liked it. Um, sneakers app probably got- is the most used app on your phone. Oh yeah. So I've got a couple sneaker apps on my phone. I go to like, I've got a couple plugs now. Um, there's a couple stores down, uh, down in Charlotte. I go to the request store at the Concord Mills mall always has some good stuff. I've got to know them pretty good. They know they've, you by uh, name, yeah. they've hooked me up good. Austin and Gabe over there. always do a good job. So Denny Hamill's got a big collection, doesn't he? 
Yeah, yeah. Denny Hamlin's got a crazy. I mean, he's on another level, but, he's, you know. He's, he's got a little bit of a sneaker plug, I think, though. I think Michael Jordan might slide him a couple of them here. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But, no. Um, I think he no, actually gets one of every Jordan ever made. I'm pretty sure he said that. Yeah. yeah. I think Bubba now gets it, too. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's awesome. Like, I'm super happy they're in the game and everything else, and it's cool. Um, But it's – uh. It's definitely a lot of fun. Um, I just really enjoy growing, growing the collection. Big Jordan fan, big, uh, big sneaker culture fan though too. I um, one of my favorite sneakers ever are actually Kanye West's last sneaker he did with Nike before he went to Adidas. Um, so a lot of people don't know he was with Nike before he was with Adidas, and um, he made some super exclusive sneakers over there. Um, the, the Air Easy One and the Air Easy Two, and I've been able to get a couple pair of those now. So that's probably some of the grails in my collection too. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. I was going to say some of your favorites, but you answered them right there. I want to, I want to check out those Heineken ones. They seem pretty unique. And I like that too. Cause it's like, you know, I, I'm not an avid die cast collector, mm. but I love collecting die cast. And I like looking for ones that I either have an emotional connection to, or I just think look cool or whatever. Absolutely. And I've been looking for this one specific Mark Martin one and mm-hmm. I cannot find it. I'm not going to find it. I'm going to keep trying. But it seems like it's the same thing for you. You like oh. collecting them. You like having them. But it's more about the hunt and the search mm-hmm. to actually get them. For sure. For sure. And what, what people don't realize, too, is like a lot of these sneakers, like especially the super exclusive ones, they'll be on like a StockX or a Goat app or things like yeah. that. But just because you buy them doesn't even mean they'll pass verification. I've bought a ton of sneakers that when StockX or Go authenticates them, they don't pass. They give you your money back, but you still didn't get the sneakers. So like it, it becomes <laughs> pretty difficult. Yeah, no, I bet. <laughs> I also saw that you are a Tesla Model 3 owner. That's a pretty badass car to have. Are you boys with Elon Musk? Do you have a plug there? I wish, I wish. I just uh, I just put the order in. There's a little bit of a wait, so it'll, uh, I just put the order in. I put the order in about a month ago. So there's still a pretty good weights. So we'll see when I get that, but it's, uh, I, I joke with people all the time. I, uh, being a race car driver and everything else, I don't really pay attention to the speed I'm going on the road. <laughs> so, um, I, I'm hoping the self-driving on that's going to help me avoid some tickets. Um, you get a lot of tickets. I try not to, um, that's a yes. <laughs> But it's uh, it's cool. I like what they've done. Um, yeah. They're beautiful cars, um, and uh, looking forward to having to drive me everywhere. I also saw some pictures on Twitter and Instagram of your dog. I think it's a golden doodle. Adorable dog. Got oh, he is awesome. He's awesome. What's his He's, name? Uh, so his name is Sebastian, and like we do everything with him. We uh, we've brought him to Millbridge a bunch. He loves loves race cars. Like he'll. Uh, put his paws on the fence over there and turns three and four. He'll Aww. watch the whole race. Um, also rolls around in the mud. So by the end of the night, he blends in with the ground. Of course. Um, so anybody who's, who's, who's had a doodle knows, uh, knows how hard they are to clean. They, yeah. they, he's literally like a mop. He picks everything up, but it's, uh, it. he just got his haircut for the summer. So it's, it's a little less bad. He's a little less hot. He, uh, he's always hot. So everybody jokes that he's my dog. Cause my house is always really cold, right? So I love that. when we yeah, got him, 
he will lay on the vents on the floor. So like you'll see the air blowing up his fur. Oh, that's so funny. It's, it's, it's adorable. That's awesome. Well, let's end with a racing question, bringing a full circle here. We're about 20 or so races into the Xfinity series season this year. Playoffs are coming up, not out of the question to make the playoffs. It is statistically possible, but realistically, what are some goals or expectations that you have for the rest of this year and then looking forward to next year. I don't I'm not sure if you know your plans yet, where you're gonna be, what you're gonna be doing, but short term finishing off this season and then next year and beyond long term, what are your goals here in the sport of NASCAR? So to answer your question, we are finalizing our plans for next year now. I can't say anything, but we are working on them now. We'll be listening. Um, hopefully we'll announce something in the next couple of weeks. But uh as far as the end of this year, we've uh we had a rough patch in races. Um, I felt like we made steps in the right direction these last two races, but the six or seven before that, we've, we struggled a lot. We had <coughs> like five mechanical failures, um, just a lot of stuff going wrong in the shop. We had some people leave um, and we made some changes. So we actually brought on, Joe Williams to be the crew chief, who was Brett Moffitt's crew chief over at Our Motorsports. Yep. Uh, we brought him on as the crew chief, and we brought DJ on as the car chief, who was the other crew chief over there. And they've uh, done a really good job of like getting us back on track. So I have really high hopes for the second half of this year. I feel like we're going to be able to use this break right here to kind of regroup, build some cars, get things going in the right direction, and uh, really be able to get ourselves back up in points. Um, so looking forward to that and uh, hopefully having some more good runs, kind of like we started the year. Yeah, absolutely. Well, man, I, I can't thank you enough for the time. You've given me an hour uh, during your Olympic break. So I appreciate that. It was great getting to know you a little bit better. And I hope the fans enjoyed getting to know you a little bit better on and off track as well, learning about your background, your passions on the track, off the track. It's been fun. Next time I see you, um, we'll get some Italian, we'll get some New Jersey pizza. I'll have some of your famous barbecue. You'll sell me on G coin and you'll show me your sneaker collection. How does that sound? Absolutely. Let's do it. Sounds like a plan. Thanks man. Appreciate the time, Joe. We'll be seeing you soon. Thanks Davey. Thank you, buddy. And we're back. Wow. How about that? Right? Really great chat with Joe. He's a good guy to get to know, get to talk to a little bit. Those stories of his ARCA career with the broken foot and uh, the great Galding stuff that he was mentioning. I mean, again, he pulled no punches. So big, big, big thank you to Joe for giving us so much of his time to tell his story. And thank you to Chris Knight as well, Knighter, Skippy, everybody's favorite for helping coordinate that conversation. We appreciate you, Joe. We appreciate you, Chris. I know I already told you guys about Rhino Classifieds, but if you don't remember a couple weeks back, told you about Adam and Eve. Let's talk about them for a little bit because free stuff's awesome, right? We understand that. This is a sex positive podcast. This is a sex positive world. Okay. We love this stuff and they're giving away free stuff and you can spice it up with your bedroom, with your partner, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, whatever you need. Adam and Eve has got you covered. They got a lot of stuff that's 50% off. Uh, and if you enter the code Davey at checkout, and if you guys remember a couple weeks ago, it's funny. D-A-V-Y, not D-A-V-E-Y, but D-A-V-Y at checkout. It's a bit here, okay? I, I didn't make the choice here. You can get 10 free gifts. Sexy item for him. Special gift for her. Third item you'll both enjoy. Six free 
spicy movies. This is a sex-positive podcast, people. Sex-positive world. And to make it all even better, you get free shipping on your order. So if you put in the offer code DAVY with no E, that's D-A-V-Y, at adamandeve.com, you can find just the thing for you. A lot of talk this week, guys, going to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course, whether it still is a crown jewel because the race for the first time in NASCAR's history, at least the Cup Series, is not on the oval. I fall somewhere in the middle here. And Mike Bagley on the morning drive made a good point basically saying he feels that the, the, the prestige comes from the venue itself, not necessarily the race. Like Daytona, it's a great racetrack, and the race itself, the 500, that adds to it. Darlington, it's a great racetrack, and the Southern 500, the prestige of that, adds to it. Indianapolis is similar but also different because Darlington, Daytona, Charlotte, Martinsville, Bristol, these are all purpose-built NASCAR stock car venues, right? Indianapolis is not. It was a purpose-built IndyCar track, open-wheel track that has only one lane, is not really conducive to passing in any series, but just the prestige and the history that comes along with it obviously gives it all the lore that it has. A lot of drivers, you've probably heard them talk at length about it, most of them do not think that this holds the same prestige as the Oval. Kevin Harvick's been very outspoken and passionate about it. Lots of other drivers have been as well. Kyle Busch said some similar things, Eric Almarola. Uh, to nobody's surprise, because wink, wink, nod, nod, Roger Penske literally owns the track, Team Penske's trio of Blaney, Kislowski, and Logano, they all said that it's still great, you know, a lot of prestige here, nothing's changed, of course, but also Martin Truex Jr. and Kurt Busch basically said, yeah, I mean, it's cool, I, I don't really care, like, it's Indianapolis, it's awesome. So, it, it's a touchy subject, and the thing is, Roger Penske owns the track, and he can basically say, and I think he said as much on SiriusXM NASCAR Radio a couple weeks back, if the race on the road course is not good, here's what I'll do. Put it back on the oval. <laughs> he has the power to do that because he owns the track. Um, and I'm sure he'll work in tandem with NASCAR about it. But I think this weekend something to watch for me is that we got a NASCAR and IndyCar doubleheader. And that's something that we haven't had, if not for a long time, forever. It's first time in my lifetime that we've seen that happen because there used to be this taboo thing where racing series didn't concern themselves with other ones and they tried to you know, work against each other instead of working with each other, pulling on the same rope in the same direction. I'm a firm believer of a rising tide lifts all boats, and I think this is one of the prime examples of how Roger Penske's leadership has influenced not only IndyCar's paddock but also NASCAR brass. And now they're working together to try to drum up interest for motorsports in general, not just NASCAR being better than IndyCar or IndyCar being better than NASCAR. This is a cohesive relationship, it seems, that is starting to repair itself a lot. And I think this NASCAR-IndyCar doubleheader is going to do wonders moving forward. Maybe some more crossover. I know that um, Sage Karam is running the NASCAR Xfinity Series race this weekend. We'll see. But I'm happy that these two series are working together in tandem rather than against each other. And by the way, how about a 1 p.m. start for the cup race on Sunday? Huh? All those all those boomers. I mean, I, I also love 1 p.m. starts. But all the people that hate these 3 p.m. starts, I do too, but I've come to accept it. You guys better love it this week. But I bet you there's going to be people that complain and say, well, I didn't know that it was a 1 p.m. start. I'm just used to these damn 3 p.m. starts. Here's an idea. 
get with the times, read your damn phone, download an app, check the channel guide. You can figure it out. 1 p.m. Eastern time on NBC from the Brickyard. Although, not really. Lug nuts of the week! Cue that funky music, white boy. Starting off lug nuts with a hard to pronounce name. Giorgio Magui. Definitely botched that. He's making his Xfinity debut at the Indianapolis Road Course this weekend. Loris Hesemans is also running for Rayum Brothers Racing. I believe they are the two NASCAR Euro Series competitors, and it's the first time in NASCAR history that multiple Euro Series drivers will be in the same race on the same weekend, so that's pretty cool. Former guest on the pod, good friend Colin Garrett. He's returning to Sam Hunt Racing for Michigan and Daytona later this year. Great to hear Colin returning to the Xfinity Series. Lawless Allen is joining Nice Motorsports for multiple races in 2021. Good to hear a former K&M Pro Series guy getting some shots at the national level. 2021 Champions Weekend for NASCAR was announced last week. It is going to be in Nashville once again. More great news. The Wendell Scott family, they're finally going to get the trophy from Wendell's win at Jacksonville all those years ago. I don't know why it took this long, but I'm just happy that they're finally getting recognized for what is right. Some sad news to pass along. I'm a Gene McDuffie and legendary motorsports broadcaster. Bob Jenkins, both unfortunately passed away earlier this week. Thoughts and prayers go out to their families. Really sad news. I was never able to, you know, hear, listen, watch Bob Jenkins in his heyday, but all the stories and tributes pouring in shows what an incredible impact he had. So thoughts and prayers out to both those families and friends. Armani Williams is making his truck debut at Gateway for the truck series. He's going to become the first NASCAR driver on the autism spectrum to make a national series start. That is badass right there. I want to have him on soon. We'll get to talk to Armani. Great kid. Ben Bayshore and Seth Barber, who is Anthony Alfredo's crew chief, were both fined 10 grand for lug nut violations. And Chris Gale and Jeff Mendering, who are Ty Gibbs and Brandon Jones's crew chiefs in Xfinity, were both fined $5,000 for the same infraction. And Alex LeBay's car chief, Joseph Keim, he has been suspended for one race due to an axle, I believe, that uh, basically made its way out of the 36 car during the race at Watkins Glen. So according to the rule book, that's a suspension. And that'll wrap things up for episode 120 of Victory Lane 2.0. I know it may have been a little bit longer than normal, but when I'm at the track, I try to get my questions in the podcast so you guys can see that I'm not just some dude sitting on his ass at home. I'm out there. I'm trying to do my thing, and I want you guys to hear that. Uh, and I also try to get different answers out of the drivers, as you guys know from listening to the interviews. So hope you guys enjoyed that. I really, really thank you guys for listening so much. Uh, and if you feel so inclined, I would appreciate if you left a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. But we're also available on Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud. Usually wherever you get your podcasts, we should be available there for your consumption. Check me out on YouTube. Starting to post some stuff there from my podcast as well as the Front Stretch podcast. Subscribe to my channel as well as Front Stretches. Check out all my work on Twitter at Davy Center. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, the whole nine yards. I'm rambling. I'll get out the way. Until next week when we talk about Indy and preview Michigan as the regular season comes to a close. Battles heating up between Larson and Denny Hamlin. Stay safe. Get outside. Get vaccinated, people. Please, I don't want Delta to ruin my fall. And I'll catch you on the flip side.